From the Public Relations Global Network, this is PRGN Presents. I'm Adrian McIntyre. And I'm Abby Fink, Vice President General Manager of HMA Public Relations in Phoenix, Arizona, and a founding member of PRGN. With public relations leaders embedded into the fabric of the communities we serve, clients hire our agencies for the local knowledge, expertise, and connections in markets spanning six continents across the world. Our guests on this bi-weekly podcast series are all members of the Public Relations Global Network. They discuss such topics as the importance of sustainability and environmental, social, and governance programs, crisis communications, content marketing, reputation management, and outside-of-the-box thinking for growing your business. For more information about PRGN and our members, please visit PRGN.com. And now, let's meet our guest for this episode. Natasha Clark from Brussels, tiny little country, but the capital of lobbying. And that's a topic I'm really excited to explore. You know, lobbying here in the U.S. is a, a sort of a separate element to the communications involvement. And, and a lot of us uh, public relations agencies tend to make a clear distinction between what we think about as public relations and what we might think about as public affairs or lobbying. Uh, and and we think of lobbyists as those that are, you know, influencing change at the um, government level, working with elected officials and such. But it's an area that you and your firm are focusing on. And I'd really like to talk a little bit about lobbying and really how you in, think about it in terms of an important part of a communications effort and how, you know, it's just a, a, a different and a different strategy in influencing change. So, Natasha, can you talk a little bit about, you know, your view of lobbying and maybe some best practices that businesses and organizations should think about if they're going to enter into a lobbying relationship with a firm and what, what outcomes they can expect? Yes. So, in Atenora, uh, we are a strategic and integrated the public affairs uh, communication services. And for us, uh, communication is a tool for the work of lobbying. Um, we advise companies that face regulatory uh, challenges on how to engage in ethical and professional lobbying. So what is lobbying? You're right, lobbying is too much stakeholders that can be NGOs, uh, trade unions, uh, corporate, business federation, and they have uh, regulation that they have to comply with. But before those law will have an impact, uh, they are drafted by the EU decision-making makers. And we help to match stakeholders and decision-makers. And we truly believe that this is how democracy should work. Because to have... Um, Enlightened decision-making uh, process, decision-makers should be aware of the stakes uh, on what is feasible, uh, what is achievable from law and from the field. Natasha, you've just made a very important distinction that I want to underline so that audiences in other countries understand what you're saying. Because in the United States, for example, lobbying is typically seen as something shady that's done in the dark rooms by corporate interests trying to 
get lawmakers to adjust the policies in their favor. But what you've just painted a picture of is something very open and democratic, where many stakeholders from civil society organizations all the way around, to including business, of course, have input into a lawmaking process. Could you speak to that difference? Because I think for those of us that are only familiar with this kind of shady backroom deals aspect, it may be just like a completely different, unfamiliar world. You're right. Uh, I perfectly understand that lobbying has a bad, uh, bad image. It's true because it's usually linked with heavy industries. But for me, lobbying is really a part of the democracy of the decision-making process on the public policy choices that has to be made by decision makers and by corporation, but also citizens or uh, association uh, NGOs. So uh, I really believe it's a part of this democracy. It's for to design better uh, public policy. But you're right, there is a question of access to decision makers. And this is how companies like mine, uh, working as professional uh, lobbyists, we can help small companies, we also work for NGOs, to get access to decision makers. And are the decision makers in, in that, the uh, are they the, the policymakers, the lawmakers, or are these just other others that can impact decisions? You know, talk about the process a little bit in terms of establishing the relationships with those folks and, and who becomes an important part of your um, outreach efforts, you know, who are you trying to be in front of and, and what do those conversations look like? You have two sides. One is direct lobbying. So we organize a meeting with decision makers. And my job is to make sure that the politician who accepts to open the door will get the most, the most heart of the meeting regarding the content, um, the, the messages that we share to them, um, we raise the awareness regarding what is happening on the ground. On the other side, we have indirect lobbying, is how do we um, organize the community that will influence decision makers? It can work through the press. It can work through organizing conference, working with think tanks, working with uh, coalitions. It's the part of the communication. So direct lobbying, we have direct contact with decision makers. Indirect lobbying, we organize all the channels of communication to repeat the same message. Do you structure your programs differently if the business that you're representing is there in the uh, EU versus maybe a, an organization that wants to come into one of the countries? Is it a different process? No. It, it will be the, the, the same um, steps. The, the first one is always information. What kind of information we can provide? Then we work on the stakes. What are the opportunities? What are the risks? Then we work on the mapping. Who are the key stakeholders? Who are the main decision makers that we have to integrate in our 360 communication? Then we work a lot on the content because we believe um, lobbying is not just about communication creating noises. It's to provide insightful content for decision makers to make better informed choices. 
And finally, we go in direct lobbying actions that can be very broad, meetings, uh, drafting position paper, sending amendments. We have full palettes of uh, possible actionable work in terms of advocacy. Since the early 90s, the organizations, the arms, the departments, the branches, the offices of, associated with what we just call the EU uh, have developed a very uh, sophisticated, um, technocratic way of administering policy. So again, from the outside, this, you know, with many different political systems and many of the places our members are around the world, the nuance might be lost on the mapping of the decision makers. Could you just give us a little bit of an overview? It's not just uh, members of parliament, although you have that. It's also specialized agencies and other things. So who are you lobbying? Uh, obviously going to vary from campaign to campaign, but could you kind of give an overview of the landscape? Yes, the Brussels bubble is very complex. We don't have one single center of command that will... Uh, draft the, the the law. There are three main institutions, the commission, which is the executive power with the monopoly to propose a new initiative. It's made of commissioners that have the policy design and civil servants. Then we have to work with the parliament and the, the European parliament as a uh, an amazing house where everything is possible. 700 members of the parliament from 27 countries that tries to go in the right direction given the specific um, national backgrounds that they have. From Sweden to Spain, from Poland to Germany, it's a mess, but we beautifully go in the right direction all together. And then we had the council representing the national interests of the 27 member states. So yes, it's a mess, but with the right strategy, you can find the, the way to highlight your interests and to be heard by decision makers because all those three institutions, they have in common that they respect lobbyists and they invite, they open the door to meet us. So then on the client side, how do you find the right client spokesperson to attend these sessions? Give us a sense of how those interactions play out in real time. Let me give you some figures just to understand the, the Brussels bubbles. It's roughly 12,000 lobbyists uh, in terms of structure, meaning roughly 50,000 people that are lobbying the European institutions. They come from Europe. They come from uh, North America, from um, uh, Asia. Every single part of the world wants to lobby the European institutions because if you want to have access to the European market, you have to comply with the right rules. And before those rules come to uh, life, you have the possibility to lobby and to design what will be the perfect regulation for you. And I was surprised that uh, when we were in Singapore for the PRGN, uh, I had a talk with um, 
Mark Peterson from Curie. And it was for following from Australia the regulation that was um, uh, built in Europe regarding ESG. What is Europe doing regarding due diligence, COCD? Uh, so the word is looking to what the European institutions are uh, doing in terms of regulation. So this gives you the, the idea of uh, what we're doing here in Brussels. Thanks for listening to this episode of PRGN Presents, brought to you by the Public Relations Global Network. We publish new episodes every other week, so follow PRGN Presents in your favorite podcast app. Episodes are also available on our website, along with more information about PRGN and our members at prgn.com. 